Hey, Coach Arlen here. What do Walt Disney, Andrew Carnegie, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and FDR all have in common? They shared one secret that propelled them to achieve remarkable success. They each belonged to a mastermind group. If you've never experienced the power of a mastermind group, now is your opportunity. Join my business success mastermind group today. New cohorts are starting soon. To learn more, go to ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. The Courage to Lead, episode 226. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Jill Hollander. How would you live your life if you thought you were going to die? Jill Hollander is a speaker, certified life and health coach, and writer who inspires those around her to recognize their courage, reframe their challenges, and reinvent their lives. Born with a congenital heart defect that required a heart transplant before her high school graduation, she has since had not just one, but six triumphant responses to every lymphoma diagnosis, each one only deepening her determination to rise above, to honor the transitions, and to actively craft a life of purpose. By recognizing her own innate fighting spirit and conviction at a very early age, Jill has established herself as an authority on authentic confidence and unparalleled resilience, simultaneously using the power of her own story to empower people to find their yes in every facet of their lives, Jill helps people around the world gain perspective and boldly claim what is truly important. Whether speaking to individuals about the importance of not just prevailing, but thriving in the face of adversity, to corporations about building resilient teams within their organization, Jill is living proof that we don't have to simply play the cards we're dealt. We have the power to use them to win the game. Jill, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. So, man, having heart transplant before you graduated high school, that's, yeah. wow. Yeah, I hear stories like this and it, it humbles me because mm -hmm. I don't, I've, I've lived fairly healthy life. I mm -hmm. haven't really had any of these things. And I hear these stories and it's like, how are you still standing? And yet you're doing more than just standing. You're, you're taking on the world. Very cool. Good stuff. Okay. Um, I want to talk about all this. I want to get into detail about how you got your start, mm -hmm. how you got to where you are today and stuff. But before we get started, I've got 10 questions that I like to ask every one of my guests. Um, listeners, you guys know, these are the questions made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these very same questions of his guests from Hollywood TV film and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So Jill, if you're ready, 10 questions. All right. Question number one. All right. What is your favorite word? My favorite word is determination. What is your least favorite word? Nice. <laughs> I'm with you there. Good job. All right. Um, what turns you on? Living a passion and purpose-filled life. Nice. What turns you off? Feeling stuck. What sound or noise do you love? 
I love the sound of a waterfall or a stream. Mm, very nice. What sound or noise do you hate? Background noise, especially any like wind or jarring noise when you're on the phone with someone and you hear all that or when they haven't hung up yet and you hear that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, question seven. What is your favorite curse word? F-bomb. The F-bomb. Yep. That seems to be the top of the list. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? That's a real good one. I think conflict resolution specialist. Nice. Um, what profession would you not like to do? Graphic designer. <laughs> really? Okay. I'm not going with visuals, moving everything around is not, I would, it would be lopsided and very bad. For <laughs> <so>. <laughs> All right. Good job. Um, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did it and you did it well. And then an applause. Nice. <laughs> good job. Well, you have done, you have done so much and I can't wait to dive into all this. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about again, how you got your start how you got to where you are now, who you work with and how you help them. Um, and then at some point we'll transition into courage and leadership. Okay. Yes. All right. Listeners, we're going to be talking about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Jill Hollander. Jill, thanks again for taking time out to uh, to talk to us on the podcast. Um, so you have a, a speech and language pathology degree. Yes. Right? And a degree in sociology and stuff. Um did And you did speech pathology? Is that where you kind of got your start? Yeah. Yes, I did. I was working, and I still do to some extent. So I was working as a speech language pathologist. I've been in the field for like 15 total and 13 in the more traditional way, I guess that's to say. So I've always worked for myself, but I contracted with school districts, and um, that's that's basically what I did for the majority of the time. And I, well, I always knew that I wanted to be in a helping profession from my background in sociology and then my master's in speech language pathology. Right. And so through that work, I also learned some of the things that I was longing for and some of the aspects that I didn't get to incorporate in my daily experiences then. And because I really believe in we have to live now. No one knows what tomorrow is going to bring that when I don't feel connected fully, I really look into that and take it seriously and look into how I could change that and what that would look like. Nice. And was why were you drawn to speech pathology? Well, I'll be quite honest about this. I was drawn to it. One, I was always drawn to helping professions, but honestly, with the life that I have and a lot of help things, I need something, my mother's very practical. So she helped me choose something that was, that I could work the hours that would work for my body and be able to make a good living and still be helping people. So all the pieces 
lined up in theory, let's say, but not yeah. always in practice for me. So that's kind of where the journey began. And also when you agree to something like that, like I did, I was in, I allowed my mother and my sister was in the field. So it was, it was the point of least resistance and it gave me opportunity to do other things, which was wonderful. But when you, when you choose that for so long, I would, you know, be, I was annoyed about it at certain points. And I'd obviously it's my mom and, you know, the blaming and all that, but then I had to take responsibility and you had to recognize your courage and name. I was a willing participant in this. I went along, I went to the schooling, I did everything to make this happen. So I need to take responsibility for it and then responsibility for helping myself change it. Yeah, nice. And then I don't want to spend a lot of time on it yeah. because I don't know if it's a, a difficult conversation for you and stuff, but the, the heart disease, how did, how did that, how did you, how did you first find out about that stuff? And what was it like going through that at such oh. an early age? Absolutely. Yeah. I don't mind talking about it at all. So I was born with a congenital heart defect. So from birth, I always say I was like born on arrival, born like fighting for my survival. So I think I had this natural fighting spirit within and my parents were wonderful role models. And I was very fortunate to get to, to be referred to the right doctors at a very early age. And that really helped, helped me to, because honestly, and medical science, because in the advances, because if I was born 10 years earlier, they really mm. wouldn't have been able to help me. So I was yeah. able to, they had to watch me very closely because I wasn't strong enough until two years old, which is when I had my first open heart surgery. And then for 14 years, I had a very, very, very typical experience, which was great because it built the foundation. I had some academic delays related to the health and it really helped me to foster the traits of grit, determination, mm. And to, to really start to hone that at a young age through the help of my parents. And also I started to practice speaking up for myself and being my own advocate at my doctor's office when I was nine years old and just starting to view myself as healthy. My parents allowing me to, because for 14 years I had that opportunity and, and honestly, it was, it was a privilege to be able to have that. So it really set the tone for when things got harder at 15 around, well, around 14, 15, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer. And then mm. shortly, and he unfortunately passed away of stage four lung cancer. And shortly after that, I was diagnosed with endocarditis, which is a virus that attacks the lining of the heart. This is when things got hard. And then yeah. um, a little after that, I was, I was having very like low heart rhythms and I needed to be, I was hospitalized twice that summer. I wasn't able, well, the the camp, I always went to camp and it was delayed. So basically I really had to dig deep and be able and find ways. And this is kind of how I created my process of what I had done for myself through mm -hmm. these years. And like, I had to recognize my courage. I needed to name yeah. what was going on, claim it and be able to change it. I needed to look for what was working, that the hope, the hope of going to camp kept me going. And I needed to find ways to choose because in any situation we get to choose our response yeah. again and again and again and so Love those that. are the yeah. ways that got started yeah it's not what happens to us it's how we choose to respond to it right how we choose to respond to it and also because i was young i had the model of my mom is a very strong person and my my dad was very outspoken so the combination really helped me to be able to speak up for myself and also to have mm -hmm. the emotional capability and capacity to withstand some of this. And what kept me going a lot too and reframing my challenges was 
not just speaking up for myself, but also focusing on living my life, what I wanted to do, being with friends. And I was determined to have a life and to live as typical life and continue to view myself as healthy. And that's what I did. And that helped so much continuing to go to the parties. And it was important for me to do well in school and have all the friendships going and concerts and do everything that everyone else was doing. And that kept me going with every appointment. We always talked about the medical, but then the questions were always about the social, what I could do, what I couldn't do, how I can negotiate doing what I wanted to do. Problem solving is a big way that I reframe my challenges as well. So it's a nice. lot of that. So all those lessons come into play now yes. in what you're doing, right? Helping people. Talk to me about that. How did you become a motivational speaker? Through my experiences, I um, started speaking. I speak a lot with American Heart Association and really through my experiences of what I have been through, because what I hear from a lot of talks that I focus on with them is that if they, if they think when they leave, if she's been through all that and can keep doing it, so can I. No matter what I'm going through, I can keep going. And so this whole process that I help people to learn really came from, like I said, my own life experiences and whether I'm coaching or speaking, I'm really helping to highlight these areas and how people can do it for themselves, no matter what they're going through. It doesn't have to be a health problem. Just whatever the experience is, a lot of the, uh, I work with adults as well as uh, teens. And so with the adults, I really, a lot of times it's like they lost their way. They're transplanted from their lives. They no longer feel like themselves and they want things to change, but they're feeling stuck in some ways. So whether we go through this entire process or part of the process, it helps them to refocus, to get to where they really want to. Because like I said, living your life passion-filled and authentically is really what I want for everybody. And to know that tomorrow is not promising to live it now and to do it now. Do it now. Yeah, don't wait. Don't do wait. And I, I love these conversations with, with people on the podcast because one of my, my hopes is that somebody somewhere sometime will be listening to the podcast and they'll hear somebody tell their story and say, wow, I'm going through the exact same thing. If they can do it, maybe I can do it too. Yes. And that's your story yes. is look, I've been through all this and I'm still, I'm still here. Yes. That's great. And if you could have resilience in these ways, how can I incorporate that whether it's an organization or in our personal lives, especially post-pandemic and all the changes that have happened, what does that look like now? People's needs have changed, systems have changed. So how can we use some of these principles to incorporate them into those establishments? Right. And you yeah. talk about resilience. Um, we hear a lot about resilience. What is resilience exactly? And, and why is that so important? Resilience is so important because it's the ability to keep coming back when your heart is hit, to keep showing up. And, and it's not pretty. It's not easy. It doesn't always look good. And for me, resilience really looks like that's why I created this process because no, it is such a buzzword, but what does it really look like? So in this process of recognize your courage, it's really the pillars. There's three pillars related to each process. So for recognize your courage, it's Name it, claim it, change it, name what's going on, claim your feelings about it and begin to change it. And then power of choice and change. You can choose your response. You can choose your mindset. You could choose to foster the, the traits of grit, tenacity, willpower. Yeah. And then you can find your yes, look for what is working and focus on that. And you can incorporate that 
for an individual, for a company. And it's the same thing for reframing your challenge. Find, own, and use your voice. Speak up for what isn't working for you. Because if you don't, no one else will. Exactly. Right? And then then problem solving, looking for creative solutions. How can you do it differently? If this isn't working, what possibly can? And then also hope, cope, and deal. Because if we don't have hope, sometimes we can't keep going. So part of that is finding your support team, whether that is the people you work with or the your family members that will support you in all areas of our lives, in all the different aspects of our lives, we need to have our support people, both professionally and personally. And we also need to look at what I call active acceptance, be realistic, optimistic, and proactive about what's going on. And then find healthy coping strategies to be able to better equip to deal. And then through that, you could reinvent aspects of your life. You could adjust to the change. That's why I think these aspects are so important to being resilient because you apply this and you're able to adjust, you're able to adapt, you're able to live more authentically you, more aligned with what it is you want in your business, in your personal life, in in your relationships, et cetera. Nice. Yeah. So what is the absence of resilience then? Is it apathy? Is it defeatism? I think it's a little bit of, we can get so, and this is, this can happen. And and there's nothing wrong if this happens because it's when people are going through things, you get stuck in the sadness, in the hardness of it, because it it is hard. And I want to honor that and acknowledge that it is really, really hard. Some things that we encounter as human beings. And so I think that part of it is we could just get stuck in a rut. And we just can't find our way out. And if we're not able to find our way out, sometimes we're less likely to ask for help and to do the things when we're not feeling good about ourselves. We don't necessarily always do the things that we know we, right. we should do or want to do. So I think some of it is you get stuck in, it could be in thinking of yourself as a victim. Maybe that was modeled or right. some type of mindset that isn't serving you. And I think, you know, different levels of emotional, emotional, well-being and other things can play a role. And that's why it's so important to like the asking for help. And I know when people are in that situation, they may not be in a place to, and that's why I think it's so important to have support people. Cause maybe if you can't right. for yourself, someone else will take you. I mean, I've heard of stories where people literally, if it's a, you know, maybe especially with like kids where the parents have to literally take them to the therapist and sit there and make sure they do not leave because the child's so resistant, but at the same time, this is what they know. Right. is needed. So even as an adult, if you have a good friend, if you have someone that says, can't do it this way anymore, I'm going to help you. I'm going to sit with you. I'm going to show you. I'm gonna take my hand. We'll go together. Because I think that's some things and, and good thing to spread to everyone. If you know someone, some of the best ways to show compassion and love is to go and make them do the hard thing, is to go and, and maybe pull them out when they don't want to be, because you could really be helping them. You never know how much so. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So how do you help people find their resilience? What is that process to to help them find that? Absolutely. So it's through the, a little bit of the process that I explained to you different aspects of it. And for some people we'll do, we usually work in three month pockets, but we also definitely extend. So it can be extended upon. And sometimes we do all of them 
every single part of the process and all the pillars. And sometimes we do specific pillars. I've worked with people just on the find, own, and use your voice. And then I have group programs that focus on that topic and some of these specific pillars and not the whole process. So basically depends on, the in, you know, in our initial conversation, what is really coming up and then it's all catered toward the individual or the group that I will be working with. And then for speaking, it's also talking at first with the people that will be hiring me, figuring out what will be best for the, their organization and topics that will really be geared for that population. Yeah. But I think it's, Finding that resilience, like you said, you have choices, how you respond to things, right? Yes. Is it that people don't see the choices that they have? They're in such a rut that, that they don't see those choices that are available to them? I The clients I work with in particularly are usually ready for it and they, they're ready for it. They know they need help. They're just not really sure where to begin and how to do it on their own. And they're at that place, they're aware they need help, they're able to ask for help, like they're aware they need to change it. They almost like are aware that they're stuck in this situation, but they don't know how to change it for themselves yet. So that's why they come and get support to help them to do that. Nice. And then you also talk about finding your voice and finding your yes. yes. Why do people have such a hard time saying yes? That is a great question. Thank you. I'm a professional. <laughs> <laughs> I love that because I, I really do think if we go first with this concept of saying yes to yourself, to first say yes to you, to say yes to your dreams, to say yes to, to changing things that aren't working for you, all of that, you first have to have some level of self-esteem okay. and some level of knowing that you're worthy and deserving of saying yes to yourself and for yourself. So I think that is one aspect that can be very hard for everybody. And I think there's also in a, some people were grown, grew up in that people pleasing culture, especially women. And I think that that idea of that's how people will like me. That's the whole idea of like, if I'm nice. And so I think that that tends to go with putting everyone else before yourself. Yeah. And then you don't take time. So I think that sometimes it's learned behavior. It's based on societal beliefs that you've kind of ingrained in your own life and you sure. think that this is the way to do it to to give 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 but where what are you receiving so i think that's some of the reasons why it's hard for people to say yes particularly to like putting themselves first yeah. or making themselves a priority absolutely yeah saying yeah putting yourself first is is tough i was brought up roman catholic and mm -hmm. it's like humble right always give to other people before yourself and everything and that if you take that too far that can be detrimental Absolutely. Yes. Um, is it also part of it, uh, the fear of missing out? If I say yes to one thing, I'm saying no to a bunch of other things. Is it that not being able to choose? It absolutely can be. I think for every person, it's a little different depending upon what it is, because some people really don't want to miss out. Other people don't have that same need or desire. So I think it really depends on what's coming up and what where they're coming from and their background. Backgrounds are always so important in the work that I do because it it really impacts where they are today. Yeah. Nice. And then on your website, I love recognize your courage. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. When when did you recognize your courage? I know you said it kind of you had some good role models there. Yes. And you picked it up a little bit at a time, but when did you really recognize your courage? Mm. 
That's a great question. I think the seeds were being planted earlier on when I started to speak up for myself and I started to, the idea of what happened with my, the way I learned, like learning for me did not always come, especially some sub, some subjects did and some didn't, but the traits of grit, tenacity, and determination, I think even like to do that takes courage. So I think my mom fostered that in me where like of how to do it and showed me and created a way. So it helped me to feel that I could be courageous. I also think courage really came and everyone always said to me, I think sometimes, well, there's two parts to this. One, everyone used to always say, you're so strong, you're so strong. I could never do what you do. And I thought, if you were in this situation, you would do it. And it goes back to that other question of like mm. people that respond with resilience and people that are not able to do it. And I, now I can see some people don't, but the truth is in my mind, I had no choice. Yeah. So some of it was, I, this is what I was dealing with and I would step into it the way I could, which became courageous. And I think when I started to realize that more, I think I like fully realizing it as an adult, but I think after my dad passed away and all that was happening, there were a lot of medical things that happened very quickly. And sometimes I, even if my mom stepped out and went like food shopping, like things would come up that I figured out by the time she came back. And I think that takes a lot of courage. And I think mm -hmm. by doing that again and again, I was able to recognize my courage. Yeah. But then you're, you're a, a keynote speaker. That is one of the scariest things for people, right? People look at you up on the stage like, wow, I would never have the courage to get up there and speak. Where did you find that courage? Was that all part of this kind of grooming through the medical things to, to get you ready, prepared to find your voice and get out in front of people? I do think so. I do feel that way. I think that this whole, you know, our life speaks to us. And I think that all these things set me up to be in a position to feel one wanting to, and, and two, to feel confident and comfortable doing it. And again, my, my dad, he wasn't a natural speaker, but he naturally spoke up for himself. I came from a, a lineage of people that fostered that, but I think it is this idea of courage came from my life experiences and it was just honed over time that certain things I will step into it. And what I want to say about courage is we can be courageous in some areas and not others, because I know for me, I feel like in the health, it came fairly easily. And I think a part of that was one, I had to, I felt like I had to, I, I was fighting for my life mm -hmm. and it made it easier to step into some of these things for me because it was such an extreme measure. And then in other areas, I, it took me longer to find my courage when it came to relationships and being honest about my health situation and what that would look like for someone to, that was going to commit mm -hmm. to a life with me. That took courage. Yeah. And that didn't sure. come so quickly. And what I learned, and this may help other people just with the idea of courage is if you don't make a big deal of it, no one else will. So if you show up there to the conversation, to the stage, wherever you're going and you've prepped ahead of time and you feel that you're, that you can do it. You may never feel ready, but just like, I can do sure. this. And I think that, and what I love, Mel Robbins talks about this, that courage comes before confidence. Courage is pushing through that fear right. and saying, I'm scared and I'm going to show up anyway. The day I got my transplant, the doctor called. And the first thing I said was, I'm not ready. I'm not mm. ready. 
And then I took a deep breath and I go, I'm scared, but I'm ready. And that is a pure example of courage. Yeah. Courage is an action. Yes. And if you take those little steps, like you said, after a while, it transfers from courage to confidence, right? Yes. Love that. Yeah. And it's those those steps. You can you can have courageous thoughts sitting on your couch in your footer pajamas, right? Yes. But it's not really courage until you actually take action on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's when it that's when you really have to be courageous. Yeah. Because it's easier to dream about it. I've I did that for years of certain things. It seems so pretty in my head, you know, yeah. and, and then when you have to really when you have to put you know, pedal to the metal and actually start doing the work, it can get harder. And I think that's where you really have to also have courage because it doesn't always go the way you had it anticipated or hoped or planned in your mind while you were sitting on that couch, having that lovely fantasy of how it would all go. So I think that also takes courage to keep going when it doesn't. That's the resilience too. That's the resilience too. It's like, okay, that didn't work. What else could I try? Absolutely. Don't give up on the goal. Just try something different. Try it a different way. Nice. So on the program, we talk about different types of courage that we have to tap into as leaders, right? Um, resilience has come up a lot on this podcast about that type of courage, being resilient and stuff. Um, if you were counseling somebody, coaching somebody right now and stuff, what type of courage would you say is most important for somebody, an entrepreneur getting ready to go out on their own? What do you think, what type of courage is most important? Well, I think a combination probably, but I think Social courage, because if they're going out on their own, they'll have to know what it is, like what their messaging is, who they want to be speaking to, how they want to show up for them, what that looks like. I also really think that intellectual courage, because I want people to say what they mean and mean what they say. So the two may overlap, but like also what is it that you, what are your values? What is your mission? And how does that align with the people that you're working with? So I think there's an aspect there that might be a combination of the emotional, intellectual, and social. Nice. And so it it all kind of works together. And I, I also think for the emotional, your belief in yourself. Yeah. To be courageous, because being your, an entrepreneur, I have to be honest, the, being courageous in medical comes a lot easier for me than, than in the entrepreneurial world, because although I've always worked for myself, doing yeah. this type of work is definitely different and doesn't have as much clear guidelines as speech language pathology does, so to speak. So you really are the master of your own ship in such a different way. And if you don't believe in yourself and if you don't see the vision and if you're at all stopping yourself, which I've had this because sometimes you have to change it, change your direction, change your way of doing it. But sometimes you just have to be honest about how you're doing it. Are you really fully putting yourself out there? Are you really going for it? Are you lukewarm in it, but not fully in it. So I think that it takes a lot of courage to be an entrepreneur and to keep going and to have that vision and hold that vision and belief in yourself and in the business that you're creating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think having confidence is, is, that's a big thing. The mindset, it's a mindset, right? It all comes back to the mindset. And what I will say, it's the confidence, but it's consistent confidence because I know with entrepreneurship, it can wax and it can wane. And there could be days that are great. And then there could be periods where you feel like you're not hearing anything. And I think that's that's why it has to come from within. That's why it has to be authentic confidence that you're keeping the promises to yourself. Because 
you have to do that for yourself before you're ever going to get the applause from others or any kind of kind of possibly confirmation that you're even you know on the right path you have to first feel it within consistently which isn't always easy absolutely absolutely so you've worked for yourself you said pretty much from get go right? capacity yes my mm-hmm. whole life i've been uh, yes absolutely nice. do you have a team you work with now no, I've always been like, I've identified, I was listening to one of your podcasts where the difference of like self-employed or so I've been identified as self-employed and now I started an LLC a little bit ago, but right now it's just me. And then I've worked with like, you know, PR teams and other people. Yeah, to help, yeah teams come in. Yes. Um, so I like to talk about leadership. And uh, one of the questions I like to ask is if I was to bump into any of your employees or, or contractors, people you work with, and ask them what type of leader you are. What would they tell me? What kind of leader are you? I would say the type of leader I am is leading by example, because I think you have to first lead in your own life. And I think you also have to be honest when it's not always easy to lead in your own life, because I think when we show up and we act like everything is so easy for us, no one learns. No one gets to see what it's like to be resilient when things don't go well. So I think first lead by example, be the leader in your own life, show people what that looks like and just embody it, just live it. And then that's your walking living proof of what that looks like. And what I would say in terms of like for one-on-one coaching, what people will say is that I'm very, very loving. I create a very safe space and I'm also very direct. I will give you that push that you need to get going. So I will, I will give you so much, we'll have such great heart to heart connections. And I also will will help you to stay accountable and to toe the line. So I practice a lot of compassion in my nice. coaching. So I would say that's the way I lead in my coaching practice. Nice. Yeah. And it's always a balancing act with coaching is you want to encourage, but you also want to drive that hard line. Yes. You said you were going to do this. What's holding you back? Why aren't you, you know? Yes. Uh, well, that's, that's really the job to, to make, to help them to, see what it is that that might be their blind spot, right? They've been doing something so long one way that they're not going to see it. And also when you're in it, you never see it. So I feel like that's why one of the things for me, I always like to work with people when they are ready, because I know this is my style and I know I can be very direct. So I want to do it when people are ready, which is why I like that style for me for one-on-one coaching. But then what I really love about speaking is that I could speak to people at all different aspects of the journey, whether it is in their, you know, journey of their ability to be resilient or whatever else it may be to speak to all different phases of that, because then they can take what it is they need from what I have shared to incorporate that in their life where they are at that moment. Nice. Yeah. Reframing your challenge. I, I, that one, that piece got me because that's one thing, you know, something happens to us and, and it's either voices from our past, something says, oh, well, of course you can't do this because you don't have the ability, right? This isn't who you are. We kind of take it on as this challenge is overwhelming. And it's like, it's not there. If you look at it from a different perspective, it could be the easiest thing ever. How do you get people to learn to look at things, change their perspective to look at those challenges? I love what you said about how we hear like different people's voices in our heads, Mm -hmm. because one of the things I do when I help people to the first part of like, find your voice is to go back, to go forward, 
whose voice is in your head really whose voice is that is that even yours because first we have to find out who's who's the dominant voice in your head i know a lot of times for me it's my mom's so like figuring out whose voice that is and if that voice is serving you and if it's not how can you how can you respond differently how can you remove that voice and bring in more of your own voice and before you have your voice i have people write letters either to their younger selves or to the children in their lives and how they would talk to them if they were going to be like the mama bear or the papa bear and, and go stand up for them. Because then you could start to incorporate that into right. this so that you can create a new, you have to either break down the belief that mm -hmm. is coming from that voice mm -hmm. and, and figure out first, that's why I've actually gone back and done this with myself lately in certain areas, like name that, the, that this is the dominant voice right now, or this is, this is the message I'm mm -hmm. hearing and it's not working for me. And then yeah. claim the why, why is it there? What's the reason for it? Why did it come? Why is it there now? And then the, once you have that information, then you could begin to start to change it. So that that's one of the areas and that they kind of overlap with recognize your courage, but the idea of you have to get that voice out of your head. So that is yeah. one way to do it. And then, and then you're able to bring in your own voice once you break down why it's not there and bring in the message that will serve you. And right. you that's also a way that you can problem solve because you're getting rid of what isn't working for you and bringing in the solution, what is, what can. It's also finding ways to cope with where you are and also be compassionate with where you are. And remember to look at, and this could give people hope, all they have done before. Because that will help you to give you courage to keep going and confidence to keep going for nice. where you're going next. Nice. Yeah, those little voices, like you said, who who said that back in your past? And why did you accept it as the truth? Yes. Like we and carry these things with us as as if they're true. It's like, no. Yes. In uh, NLP, studied NLP, Neuro Linguistic mm -hmm. Programming. Yes. Said, what if that voice was Elmer Fudd? Would you take it as seriously? <laughs> Yes. No, probably not. Okay. Then here it is that, and then disregard it. Right. Right. Disregard and then supplant it. it with, yeah, with your voice. What do you want to do? What do you want to say? What do you want to do? And, and also because your younger self might've aligned with that voice or that messaging doesn't mean the you, who you are today, or even more importantly, the you, you want to become the right. you, you are going toward that voice. Isn't going to work for that aspect of yourself that part of yourself that is becoming so to become who you want to be you have to it all has to line up and that's why it takes time and such a process and why it ebbs and flows because sometimes those voices could be quite positive and sometimes they're not and that's why we need to find a way to connect with ourselves and to find that applause within first and consistently as possible because sometimes you could you could feel it whether the opportunities that are coming or what people are saying. And sometimes it's going to be crickets. So you need to be able to keep showing up even when it's not so yeah. loud out there with all the applause. <laughs> exactly. Very cool. So what's next for you? You've already done so much, accomplished so much. What's next? What's next for me is expanding what I've started and possibility of a book and nice. going towards just working more with companies for speaking opportunities and growing my, my coaching practice. That's very cool. 
where I'm continuing. You've done some amazing things already. Your 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 speeches and and like I said, you what recognized by U.S. News and World Report, Associated Press, Entrepreneur Magazine, American Heart Association. You're doing it. Thank you. You're doing it. You get to the pearly gates and they'd say, right on. <laughs> Good job. All right. Well, this has been fun. Thank you so much for taking time out to uh, talk with us. If people want to follow you and get in touch with you and find out what you're doing and, and the programs you have available, how to reserve you as a, a speaker for their events, how can they do that? What's your website? My website is www.jillhollander.com. And you can find me on Instagram as well. TikTok, all my social handles are on my website. Very cool. Excellent. I will have all that information in the show notes so people can do that. You're active on LinkedIn also? Yes, I'm on link- okay. LinkedIn under Jill Hollander. I'm on Instagram at I am Jill Hollander, as well as on Facebook at I am Jill Hollander. And then on TikTok as Jill Hollander. Very cool. Good job. Very nice. All right. I will make sure all those links are in the show notes for people. And uh, yeah, thanks again for taking time out to talk with us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, listeners, hope you guys are taking notes. A lot of good information here. Resilience and mindset are the two key takeaways, I think. It all comes down to that resilience. There's always a way. If you want it bad enough, there's always a way. Yes. Find it. All right. Share this episode with your family, friends, colleagues. Leave us a review. Subscribe to the podcast, please, because that helps too. And uh, yeah, stick around. There's always more coming. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 